Hi, everyone. Welcome to uh, Christmas Eve at Union Chapel. Welcome to you. Glad you're here. We've uh, gathered to celebrate the wonderful birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in anticipation of all that he's done. And we are going to read that traditional passage that many of us share in our homes Christmas Day from Luke, Luke's Gospel, Chapter 2. I want to read the first 14 verses there. If you have your Bibles, of course, you can turn there. We'll project the words on the screen. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. May God inspire, encourage us through this powerful story. Thank you so much. Today's Christmas, Christmas night, and years ago, Beth and I were making merry with her family. She was raised in a Roman Catholic tradition, and so one of the traditions we enjoyed back in those years when our boys were smaller was to attend midnight mass. Now, we've, we've tried a midnight mass here at Union Chapel, a midnight Christmas Eve. It's too late. It's just <laughs> too late. And this was a great tradition for the folks uh, in the Catholic tradition in Beth's hometown. And so the church was packed, completely full of people. We decided with all of the cousins, Beth has a big, big family, Catholic family, we decided to take all the cousins and all the, all the grandkids up into the balcony. Beth's dad and stepmother were singing in the choir that night. Very conventional, traditional sanctuary, uh, wooden pews, center aisle, uh, balcony in the back. On the face of the balcony was this lighted garland that hung on the face. And we were all in the balcony. First few rows of pews there with the choir behind us. Uh, I was there, Beth was there in the front row, numbers of the kids, our boys were there. Isaac, our eight-year-old at the time, he was sitting on the very end against the wall as he looked over the balcony. And Aunt Helen, one of Beth's aunts, 83 years old at the time, was sitting in the second row, the pew right behind us. And we were, we were, sitting there uh, trying to uh, maintain alertness after a night of making merry. The 
priest began his homily. It was not particularly inspiring. Not to disparage my friend the priest, but not so much. And so he was, he was a bit in, in a monotone and reading from his notes, and, and we were all a little weary. Isaac, down on the end, uh, noticed a wire that had come over the edge of the balcony face attached to a nail in the wall. And he found it interesting, so he began to pluck this, this wire. Doing, 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 doing. I, you could hear it. I looked at him like, stop it. You know, the nonverbal. Doing, 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 and then, boing, like that. Okay, I look down there, and his eyeballs are huge. His mouth is open, and I, you know, parental nonverbal, I go, what'd you do? And he went, he points over the face of the balcony. I lean forward, and the lighted garland was swinging freely. People down below in the pews right underneath were going, whoa, like this. The lighted garland swinging past their heads. The priest stops his homilies, looking over his glasses, you know, giving us the look. I figure I'm in the fraternity. I just, I give him the, I got this, don't worry about the. So I'm reeling in the garland, hanging over the balcony. We stretch it, walk it back, stretch it back to the other end, get it affixed. I look at Isaac and I go, if you don't want to die, stop plucking this wire. And he got the message. So everything was calm. Everything was great. The priest is droning on. Everyone's asleep. Everything's, you know, it's peaceful. Silent night, holy night. Apparently, Isaac not only had been making merry through the night, but he had had something that caused him to accumulate a buildup of gas. And as he got close to semi-consciousness, he no longer had control. And said gas came out. Under pressure. Everyone in the balcony heard it. These were non-padded pews. I mean, so, you, you know, you get a reverberation off these things. I looked down again at Isaac, and Isaac's going... Now the challenge was to keep all of the cousins and all the grandkids from exploding in laughter because it was, it was really funny. It's pretty funny. And our older son, Aaron, was just to my left. And I looked at him. I said, don't even think about it. We we're already in trouble enough. We've already disrupted the whole service. Don't laugh. And, you know, it's just trying to contain your laughter. Everybody was about to to succeed and, and, and get past the moment when Aunt Helen, 83-year-old Aunt Helen in the second pew behind us, just simply made this sound, <laughs> trying not to laugh, snorting like a pig. Everyone exploded. The whole balcony goes crazy. We're all laughing hysterically. I get the look from the priest again. He stops, stops the, stops the mass. He's staring at us. What is going on? 
Well, we were building memories on Christmas Eve. <laughs> and maybe you've built some memories already tonight or today. And that's a good thing with your family and friends. Sometimes the funniest things happen in church, and that's okay too. I enjoy those moments. I could tell you some other stories you can imagine. There's something, though, that we have to remember. We have to remember tonight. There's, there was a special birth 2,000 years ago. We have to stop and notice. We have to pay attention to this. Notice in contrast, though, in the early days of the 19th century, this is when Napoleon was going across Europe, and all eyes were on Napoleon. This was, this was breaking news, and everyone was on the edge of their seats wondering the outcome of this, of this, uh, this military action and s- subsequent political ramifications. And Napoleon's going from Trafalgar to Waterloo, ultimately, all within the span of one year. This was, this was the year 1809. And while all of these battles were being fought across Europe, which everyone was focused on, at the same time, babies were being born in various parts of the world. Now, note the contrast here. During that year, 1809, British statesman and prime minister William Gladstone was born in Liverpool. Poet Alfred Tennyson was born in Lincolnshire. These are, if you don't know these names, you should, you should look them up. Historic names. Poet Alfred Tennyson, as I mentioned, Associate Justice to the Supreme Court Oliver Wendell Holmes was born in Massachusetts. Polish composer Frederick Chopin was born in Warsaw. German composer and musician Felix Mendelssohn was born in Hamburg. And the 16th President of the United States, Abraham Lincoln, was born in Kentucky. It's interesting, isn't it? So nobody was thinking of babies in 1809. Everyone was thinking of battles, but now we have the perspective of history. We have this 2020 hindsight given to us because of our perspective. And the question then before us would be, which of the battles of 1809 mattered more than the babies of 1809? And the answer is none of those battles mattered more than the people being born in 1809. Let me just submit to you that the baby born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago makes our world a much different place today than it was then. Think about it. The educational systems he's inspired, the social reforms his teachings have instituted, the great medical and healing ethic known around the world comes from the compassion and the work and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And, of course, the transformation of families and lives and nations, all because that baby was born in Bethlehem. And so we pause to acknowledge this birth. Now, having said that, for Christmas to have its full meaning and most significant impact, we cannot separate Christmas and this birth from the cross. Now, follow me. There's a cradle in this story, but there's also a cross and a grave in this story. The cross was necessary. The Bible says it this way, he shall save his people from their sins. That's in our text. We just read from Luke chapter 2. He shall save his people from their sins. Jesus spoke of his own death when he said, to this end, I was born. It's the reason I came. The apostle Paul years later said to a young pastor, Timothy, he said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
So we pause in a moment like this and we acknowledge these two momentous events. We have the birth of Jesus and the death of Jesus. And God in these two momentous events is sending to all of us a crystal clear message. And the crystal clear message is, I love you. I love you. And he's also saying, I can forgive you. And this is the good news of Christmas. God has done something for us, and now it's our turn to do something in response to him. And the opportunity we have is to admit our sin, our moral failure, because all of us have those, and then by faith turn to him and make Jesus the Lord and Savior of our lives. We need to arrive at a place, just like the publican. You remember a Pharisee and a publican were in the temple praying one day. The Pharisee said, I keep all the rules, so I must be righteous. And the publican simply said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's a good prayer, isn't it? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's a good prayer every day. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The scripture says a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. Isn't that good news? This is the good news the world is looking for. That if we come humbly before God, that God will not only accept us and love us, he will forgive us of every wrong we've ever done and reestablish our broken relationship with him. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is why angels announced his birth. Glad tidings of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For unto you is born today a Savior. Now, I'm not naive. Uh, we have lots of people who tune into our services and have attended our services today, and, and it's a beautiful and gracious thing, but I'm not naive to think that everybody believes all this stuff. Maybe you're a person who struggles with your faith. Maybe you're skeptical about the whole story. Maybe you just can't get your mind around it, get your heart around it. Maybe you're a seeker, but you just haven't arrived yet. You're open to the truth, but you're just not sure what it might be. And that's okay. Questions are okay. These are good things. Maybe you're just outright resistant. Maybe you say, listen, you don't believe that stuff, do you? I mean, you just read a story about some virgin who has a baby. Come on, that's not possible. That's not real life. That's, that's, that's not realistic. You're, that's some kind of delusion you're living under. Maybe, maybe you push, push back and say, not only is that f- f- story foolish, it's not, it's not even close to being true. It's, a, it's an allegory. It's a myth. You can't, you can't trust these things. No one alive was here 2,000 years ago to observe these things. We have no reliable reason to believe this story to be true. Let me tell you another story. This story comes from our own experiences here in the life of our church. About 30 years ago, we sensed that God was asking us to go to a part of the world where the gospel has not been preached. And through a series of events, we discovered that there are people, traditionally Muslim people in Central Asia, specifically in the nation of Kazakhstan, a nation that was formed after the Soviet Union imploded about 1990, 30 years ago or so. And these were people who were yet to have the hope of the gospel preached to them. With our research, the only reference to the gospel that folks in that part of the world had received was in the fourth century, that there were missionaries, if you will, men 
who traveled along the ancient Silk Road. If you remember from your history class, the Silk Road went from Eastern Europe, Macedonia, all the way through Central Asia to, to China. And this was a road that people used for commerce and trade. And the Silk Road goes right through Kazakhstan. And these four men in the fourth century were preaching the gospel as they went along the ancient Silk Road and they were martyred. They were killed for their faith. To our knowledge, it was the only time in history, the last 2,000 years, that the gospel has been preached in that part of the world. And so we went there. We landed in a little village. The village name is Bayerjan Mamumshala. 10 or 12,000 people in this little village. And we sent people from our own congregation to live there full time. We learned the heart language of the Kazakh people, Kazakhstan language. And we began to make friends. We were told it would take a long time, maybe many years to even find one person who wanted to be a follower of Jesus. But inside of two years, we, we had influenced, befriended and influenced a young family, a husband and wife, two small sons, and they became followers of Jesus. And we began to teach them the way. And that was a, a fabulous breakthrough because for the first time in 2,000 years, now there are followers of Jesus from that group of people, that culture, who, who exist in that part of the world. First time in history. Amazing. Now, pause on that part of the story and hear the story of a young woman named Tersale. She's married to a man who is a drunk. He's an alcoholic and he's abusive. He's violent. She has two small children. They are preschool children. And he comes home one night in a drunken state and beats her. After this horrible beating, she realizes that if she stays in this house, he's likely to come home and beat her to death. And so after he falls asleep, he takes, she takes her two small children, gathers them up. She has no money. She has no place to go. She doesn't know what's going to become of her. She just knows she can't stay there in that, in that house any longer. And she goes to the train station in her little town, and she begs her way onto the train. Someone lets her on the train with her two children. And she begins to ride the train, and she rides the train for hours. It's in the middle of the night. It's in the middle of the winter. A building blizzard, snowstorm is happening in South Kazakhstan. The train goes for hours, hundreds of miles, stopping occasionally for these small towns. And after many hours, she slept for a while and was awake for a while. She has no means whatsoever. Finally, as they're coming up on another stop. The train is slowing. She said to us later, and these are her words, I heard a voice in my head tell me, get off at the next stop. She resisted the idea, I have no money, I have no means, I have no connections here, I don't know where, even where I am. And she said, but the voice persisted, get off at this stop. And she got off. And as it turns out, she got off in Bayerjan Mamumshala. And she began to walk with her little children, and now the blizzard was raging, and it, it, it's in the middle of the night. And after a few blocks of walking, her children beginning to freeze, they begin to cry, please, mom, please. And she said, once again, the voice came into my head and said, knock on that door. That house, knock on that door. She walks up to a little modest home there, a little back porch, and she walks up to that house and she knocks on the door. This is not customary in Kazakhstan. This is dangerous business. Folks are very suspicious. 
And suddenly a light comes on, a little light bulb hanging off the back porch of that modest little home. And a young couple standing there open the door. And this woman tells this young couple her story. And this young Kazakh couple look at each other. And then they turn to this woman and they smile to this woman named Tersonai. And they say to her, we are followers of Jesus. You are welcome here. We will take care of you. The only two followers of Jesus in history, in that part of the world, up to that point. And a voice in her head directs her precisely to that home. Now, for those of you who are skeptic in the, in the room, let me ask you something. How do you explain that? Where do you go with that story? Because you're looking at a guy who has spoken to all of the parties I've just described personally. I heard the story from them. Three months later, Terse and I became a follower of Jesus herself. In all of these years now, she has been a great witness for Christ and, a, and, an, and an apostolic leader among her people, winning many hundreds of people to Jesus. How do, you, how, do you, how do you explain that? Here's my pushback to you. If the story I just told you, this miraculous, impossible story, it's a miracle of every dimension. It is a miraculous story, and it is true. If that story is true, then I submit to you that this story I just read to you in Luke chapter 2 is also true. That a virgin was with child and gave birth to a son. And Isaiah prophesied those very words, 700 years before Jesus was born in the world. Isaiah said, and a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah is also the one who said he shall be called everlasting father, mighty God, prince of peace. And dozens and dozens of other prophetic words from the Old Covenant, from prophets, hundreds and a thousand years before Jesus walked the earth, specifically identifying a baby born of a virgin in the city of David, the town of Bethlehem. At the precise moment of the divine clock, God entered the world. And this is the good news. This is the hope that all of us have longed for. This is the opportunity that God alone has provided for us and that while we were yet sinners, morally failed, God made a way for us when there was no way. Glory to God. That's why the angel said, highest heaven, glory to God, highest heaven, glory to God, the Savior has been born. And aren't you thankful for it? Can you say yes? I'm thankful. I'm thankful. God has made a way. Wonderful. Praise God. Well, let's pause and pray about these things. Perhaps the Holy Spirit is speaking to you this evening about God's free gift of life found in Jesus Christ. Perhaps you are now and for every year of your life been celebrating Christmas for the wrong reasons. How many Christmases have come and gone without you really ever knowing the gift of new life he brings? So I'm going to ask you to do something this Christmas that so many have done before, and that is to pray and invite Jesus Christ into your life. Everyone, could I encourage you to pray this prayer out loud after me? Just pray it out loud after me. Ready? Oh God, I have sinned against you. 
I'm sorry for my sin, all the things I've done wrong. I turn from my sin, and I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I give my life to him. I celebrate Christmas as a follower of Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. Amen. Wonderful.